0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. We find ourselves tonight in a passage and a a story, but uh, a story within a story that this is uh, something that is quite extended. We see verse 15 where we uh, left off last time. So the king came back to the Jordan. And Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. And we end toward the end of chapter 19. And the king went on to Gilgal. And Cinnam went on with him. And all the people of Judah and also the half of the people of Israel brought the king on his way. But right before uh, verse 15, we looked at uh, when we looked at last time, we saw Israel wanting David to come back. And Judah then been encouraged to come down to the Jordan to be able to meet the king, to be able to greet him there at the Jordan. And this scene that we're going to look at tonight is all centered around back at the Jordan. King David has done the reverse of what Joshua did, as we've looked at previously, that Joshua stood on the Jordan to cross in to the promised land, and we saw uh, Joshua chapter 2 with and this echo here of the conquest coming into Jerusalem, uh, and David leaving Jerusalem, and David doing the reverse of that, going backwards into the wilderness, that the true king of Israel went into exile uh, for his sin, the sword coming in on his own house, but also for his son's Pride, covetousness of the crown upon his father's head, and in this passage we see the king show everybody mercy as he comes back in. Now, everybody, as he he meets everyone who comes back in, he 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 shows them some uh, uh, some level of mercy, but not all the same level of mercy in the same way. Now, this here is one of the most beautifully structured passages. Of scripture it, it 's very clear sometimes uh, when you go through historical narrative to find the start and the end, to find the story and the flow is very, very difficult. but often when you see the structure just come out so clearly it 's very helpful to be able to see what this the, the person is trying to emphasize, and it it 's this beautifully structured passage that, as we looked at last time in verse nine. Chapter 19, it starts with an argument. Again, this is all within another story of a story and a story. And here it starts this argument. And all the people arguing throughout all the tribes of Israel saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled out of the land of Absalom. And then it ends with an argument in verse 43. And the men of Israel answered, the men of Judah, we have ten shares in the king, and David also, we have more than you. Why then do you despise us, where we are not first to speak and bring back our king? And, but the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of Israel. Here comes this argument between the tribes, and it all kind of culminates now at the river when David is coming down to be able to meet his people. So we're as we see we're reminded about all that's happening. What what David has fled across the Jordan River. He left Jerusalem and went all the way up to Mahanaim. That's where he set up his uh, spot. We'll we'll see that land again name again. He's up in the land of Gilead and he's up there and now he comes back down to the Jordan River to be able to cross over. To, to go into Gilgal. That's, that's his destination, is to go into Gilgal. The people of Judah are standing in Gilgal, and the, in David's on the other side of the Jordan. And w- between all of this, we need to be reminded of a few items. Now, we call this period of time, we'll look at this in our Sunday school, but we call this period what, the United Kingdom what it, what it is underneath saul David and solomon we 'd call this period the United Kingdom that there's one nation but and then after um, then after this period, we go into the divided kingdom, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, they split. Israel has his, their ten tribes, Judah and Benjamin, form the southern tribe of Judah, uh, of, of the, the, the kingdom of Judah. And the, we call it united kingdom and divided kingdom. But what we see even throughout this whole period of the united kingdom, and it's not as united as you think it is, it's actually marked a lot of times with messy transitions and, and wars and battles. I mean, think about the, the Civil War. Saul unites the whole kingdom together underneath uh, when he first becomes king. And then after he dies, Ishbosheth takes Israel, and then David is crowned king in Judah. So for a period of seven years, you have a divided kingdom again with Ishbosheth and uh, that civil war between the house of David and the house of Saul. And then you have David. David rules for a period of time. And even right before this, we saw another civil war. Now, we don't know how long this is going on for between how when when, uh, Absalom is crowned king in Hebron and David then comes back and defeats. We don't know how long this period is. I think it's quite a short period. And even after Solomon passes away, well, in between Solomon, there is a divided kingdom as well. So we need to be reminded that... Here in this time, although we call it the United Kingdom, it is not necessarily perfectly united. We still see those two things here, even in this passage we read before in verse 43, that we have ten shares in the king. You only have two. So we see this divided nature even within this time. We saw the the tribes all coming together under Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 11. So in 2 Samuel chapter 19... We still see this conflict that's kind of bubbling over in this time. But is the king then able to be able to unite them back together? That is one great thing that a king does. Saul, one of his, his great um, times as been king is right at that beginning in chapter 11 where there is... There's these people in Jabesh-Gilead and they're being attacked and people are like we don't really care about them but the king unites them together and says we need to join together to be able to defend our brothers in Jabesh-Gilead. So is David now going to be able to bring these two uh, these two this divided kingdom together? Again, we see Absalom wanting to be king, the, the, the war between Absalom and David. But, but now in this, this section, as we continue in Second Samuel, what we're going to see is, is all the effects of that civil war played out in the nation of Israel. And is David going to be able to bring them together and unite them and heal the broken kingdom? And what you have in this passage is David's encounter within these two arguments on either side is David's encounter with three people. Shimmai the son of Gira, Mephibosheth, Brazili the Gileadite. Now, when I say this, this structure is beautiful, I, I truly mean this because we've met all of these people before. And we've met all of these people right before David as he's leaving Jerusalem before he crosses over the Jordan around that period he meets these three people before he meets Shemaiah the son of Gira the the one who curses throws rocks he we speak of Ziba and Mephibosheth Brazili. He, he crosses over the Jordan he then helps and feeds David all and all of his army with all these glorious things but here you see this story and these three all put together you can see it here with the structure the, the the references of them but you can also see it even in a finite level of the passage of how david how each interaction is very very similar not just that there's an echo of what happened before David crosses the Jordan. Now he's standing in the Jordan ready to cross over. And he meets those three people around this time. But you see that beautiful pattern. But also, each man comes down to meet David. Verse 16, 24, and 31. Each man then has an interaction, a conversation with the king. And each of them either asks for forgiveness or explain what happened to them before They were leaving. He speaks good of the king. Ziba in verse 18 says pleasant, but we also see it in verse 27, verse 35, 37, 38. And all end after this conversation with the king making some form of official pronouncement concerning the man and what now happens to this man or this man's family in verse 23, verse 29, and 39. Now, you see all of this, and, and it's just a beautiful thing. So, but before we move in on, we, we see not only there's a pattern that he connects these things, these men together, of what happens before the Jordan, after the Jordan, not just how he interacts with them and, and the structure of what happens in each of these little, uh, with these three men, but also we see a connection, and that connection is found with Saul and the house of Saul. In verse 16, we see that Shimei comes from Gira and he's a Benjaminite. Where is Saul from? Saul is a Benjaminite. Mephibosheth, we know very well, Mephibosheth is uh, mentioned here as not the son of Jonathan, but the son of Saul. And he comes down to meet the king. But then also you have Brazili, and, and here's a connection that's it's a little bit more stretched, but I think that we can see this connection. He's from Gilead. He's a Gileadite, so he comes up from that region, round near Mahanaim. and this is where Ishbosheth set up his kingdom, and his capital is up in Mahanaim. But also, there's another connection as well that. Uh, that ish connection. But also, this is Gilead, is where Jabesh-Gilead is around. So Saul has this great connection with Jabesh-Gilead for rescuing them. The men of Jabesh-Gilead come and grab Saul's bone and bones and give him a proper, proper burial. But all of these three men come and show their loyalty to David. What was divided in times past is now coming together and united under David. Now we'll see another person who's connected to um, Saul, and that is Sheba in chapter 20, which shows this continued conflict even under this time. So now let's look at these three interactions with the king and then how the king responds in mercy to each of these three men. We'll start with Shimei in verses 16 to twenty three. And Shimmai the son of Girah the Benjaminite from Bahuam hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet the King David, meet King David. With him were a thousand men from Benjamin, and Ziba the servant of the household of Saul, and his fifteen sons and his twenty servants rushed down to the Jordan before the king. And they crossed the ford in uh, to bring over the king's household and to, to do his pleasure. Now Shammai and the son of Gerah, fell down before the king, and he was about as he was about to cross the Jordan, and said to the king, "Let not my Lord hold me guilty, or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned, therefore behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my Lord the king." Abishai the son of Zeruah answered, "Shall not Shimei be put to death for this day, because he cursed the Lord's anointed?" But David said, "What have I to do with you, the sons of Zeruah, that you should this day be as an adversary to me? Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For I do not know that I for I do not know that I am this day king over Israel." And the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. So here we see that structure that the man comes before David, falls on his face, speaks to David, mentions what he has done. This interaction happens and occurs and, and eventually it all comes to this conclusion of this pronouncement of what King David has done. And this time you shall not die. So Shimei comes to the Jordan. To meet King David, he comes with a thousand men from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, this is an interesting thing, just a, a side note. This possibly means that Shimei is some form of commander of an army, not merely just a random person cursing David as he leaves, but some position where he has uh, the ability to be able to get a thousand men to be able to come with him. Now previously we saw him as David was leaving Jerusalem to go to the Jordan to be able to cross into the Jordan. He was standing there and he was cursing uh, David. Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you and you are the man of blood. Now, we we noted when we met this before that this is somewhat of a true statement. He is a man of blood, not a man of blood for the house of Saul. He is guiltless when it comes to the house of Saul. We we saw that throughout 1 Samuel and the beginning of 2 Samuel. But we see that he's a a man of blood from Uriah's household. This is what is coming upon him. Now, when he interacts with him in chapter 19, he, he flat out comes out and says that I have sinned. I have sinned against you. Do not hold me guilty for what I have done. I did do wrong. We see this in verse 19. "Do not let the king take it to heart. Now, just as we saw this interaction, again, there's stories in a story and a story and a story. And what happened as, as uh, Shimmai was cursing David as he left, can you remember that Abishai? who said, well, shouldn't I get my sword out? Do you want me to deal with him? And David turns around and says, no, maybe the Lord has sent him here to be able to curse me. And Abishai loves to get his sword out. He, He is a man, shall the sword devour forever, Abner asks. And it's a true statement. And Abishai, there's something about Abishai who loves to get his sword out to be able to do that dirty work. Now, Joab often will get his hands dirty, but often he gets his hands dirty for the sake of David. However, I think Abishai doesn't have that same loyalty or mindset. Abishai just loves getting uh, dirty. So Abishai again offers David to be able to take care of Shimei. Now David's response before was that the Lord may look on the wrong done to me today and the Lord may repay me with good for this cursing today. The Lord would repay him for good. He sees this happening for good. And he and he sees what's happening in the situation. He says, well, the Lord can turn this for good. But now in chapter 19, Abishai says, well, do you want me to take care of him? No one should curse the Lord's anointed and get away with it. But David turns to Abishai and says, what have I got to do with you, the sons of Zeruiah? that you should this day be an adversary to me. Here he says, you know, why, why are you trying to be my enemy today? Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? Again, coming back, he, he's had this change of heart. He, he, he sees this victory, this good news now of what has happened with his son Absalom. For do I not know that I am this day king over Israel? Before we left, I, I prayed that the Lord would, would show me favor, that if I was to return and see the Ark of the Covenant once more, then, then that would be God's favor upon me. I would understand this. And he says, don't I know already? What, what is this to prove? And, and to some extent, if he was to kill Shemmai, he would be exactly doing what Shimei had accused him of doing, being a man of blood. But he doesn't take that route. He shows him mercy and he says, you shall not die. Now, interestingly before, we've heard this exact same phrase before. Not similar, the exact same phrase. In chapter 12, when Nathan, when David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan turns to, David and says, Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Now what does Shimei say? I have sinned. And then what does David then turn and say in response? His official pronouncement over Shimei, this great mercy shown to him, you shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. So just David forgives Shimei. Now, some people believe that Shemai is false in his forgiveness. He's acting in somewhat of political level. Oh, I was really backing Absalom to win, and I thought that if I was going to curse him that day, and, and he comes out, then, you know, and then Absalom would say, oh, look, this guy must be my friend and an ally, and now that David has won, it's turned on to him. So now I've got to try and mend the, the bridge that I broke. Now, the truth is, we don't know to what extent. But the center of this is not so much on Shemai's response. It's on David's oath as a king. David's oath is that center, and he carries it out all the days of his life. In 1 Kings, as as David is passing on his instructions to Solomon, who's about to be able to, to reign in his place, And David mentions to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 2, and also with you the son of Girah the Benjamin from Baruim, who cursed me with a grievous curse on that day when I went into Mahanaim. So again, David understands that this was a grievous thing to be able to do, a grievous curse. But when he came to meet me in the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You know what you ought to do with him. And you shall bring his gray head down to the, with blood to Sheol. So David said, I promised on that day that I would not kill him. When he's dying, he said, I have kept my promise and my oath. Now you have to be able to deal with him. You're a wise man. You need to be able to deal with him. And Solomon wisely has Shimei keep his own oath to Solomon. Well, That's a whole other story for a whole other day. So we see Shimei and, and David the king show mercy to Shimei. The second person is Mephibosheth. We see this in verses 27, 24 to 30. Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go down with me, Mephibosheth? He answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me, for your servant said to him, I shall saddle a donkey for myself, and I may ride on it and go with the king. For your servant is lame, and he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my lord the king is like an angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my lord the king. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I than to cry to the king? And the king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I've decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all since my lord the king has come safely home. Now we find out finally what had happened truly on that day. Back when when David was leaving and Ziba comes and Ziba explains what had happened. But now we find out what had truly happened. Mephibosheth comes to be able to meet the king as he crosses over the Jordan. And the author tells us about Mephibosheth that he comes and he and he comes and he, he hasn't bathed he hasn't washed he hasn't taken care of his feet again there's some form of uh we we know that he was dropped when he was a small child as as the news came to the household about Saul we know that he's lame in both of his feet and to some extent there must be something that needs to a wound or something that needs to be taken care of with his feet because the author points out that he hadn't taken care of his feet and 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 here Mephibosheth is living in the city, but he he's living as an exile in the city. He said, "I, I wasn't going to wait until I needed to wait, and until you came home safely." And and King David asked the simple, "Why didn't you come with me?" But the truth is, it's Ziba. Back in chapter th- sixteen, again, this echo of what had happened before. Where's your master's son? Speaking of Mephibosheth. Ziba said to the king, Behold, he remains in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. So Ziba comes and says, Well, he's waiting. He's thinking this is his opportunity. The household of David is gone. It's time for Saul to come back. But Mephibosheth actually tells what happened that day. That Ziba deceived me. Just as Saul had deceived the woman, trying to pretend he was someone else as he goes to seek for divination. Just as Laban had deceived J- Jacob. That Ziba deceived me. That your servant said to him, Ziba. I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride and go on and be with the king. And he explains that he was lame. He wanted to be able to go. But he, Ziba, has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. Again, even that structure within the structure within the structure. You see, even in this statement, my lord, my lord, both ends, your servant deceived me. He slandered your servant. That he said to him, and your servant is lame. I will saddle a donkey for myself that I might be able to go be with the king. And here, Ziba is speaking of Mephibosheth and he's speaking falsely, slandering. But what does Mephibosheth truly think about King David? He's like an angel of God. Do whatever seems good to you again. He, he understands, he says, whatever seems good to you again, the, good's pleasure, the, the pleasure, the goodness of the king. Ziba comes to be able to get things from the king. That's exactly what he got. But Mephibosheth understands he needs, he deserves nothing. That anything he receives is from his mercy and grace. He understands that before, before David stepped into the scene, his father's house was doomed to death. But now I'm, I'm like your son, I eat at your table. What right do I have? And then again, it all closes with David's official pronouncement as a king. Now, beforehand, King David had said that everything that Mephibosheth has is now yours. But now he says to Mephibosheth, I dealt wrongly in that situation. You can divide it. Half can be for Ziba, half can be for you. Now again, this shows the true heart of Mephibosheth in all of this. Ziba came to the king and asked for things. He saw favor, he got things. Whereas Mephibosheth understands that he does not need anything. (laughs) Let him take it all, he says, since my lord the king has come home safely. Again, Mephibosheth uh, knows he understands mercy and grace and he deserves none of it. He gets the joy of sitting at the king's table forever. Whereas what happens to Ziba? He gets what he wants, the things. But we don't really hear much more about him. And lastly, the third interaction is Brazillai in verse 31 to 40. Now, Brazili the Gileadite, had come down from Rogelim, And he had went on to the king, to the Jordan, to escort him over the Jordan. Brazili was the very aged man, 80 years old. He provided the king with food while he stayed at Mahanaim, for he was a very wealthy man. And the king said to Brazili, "'Come over with me, and I will provide for you with me in Jerusalem.' But Brazili said to the king, "'How many years have I still to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? Am I this day 80 years old?' Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he sees or what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men or singing women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way over the Jordan with the king. Why should the servant repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant return that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. But here is your servant, Chinam. Let him go over with my lord the king and do for him whatever seems good to you. And the king answered, "Chinam shall go over with me and I will do for him whatever seems good to you. That all you desire for, of me I will do for you. Then all the people went over the Jordan, and the king went over, and the king kissed Brazili and blessed him. And he returned to his own home. And the king went on to Gilgal, and Shinnam went on with him, and all the people of Judah, and also half the people of Israel, brought the king on his way. So here uh, you have Brazili come. Again, Brazillai is the one who gave him food as he crossed over into the wilderness. Brazillai, we find out here, actually fed him while he stayed in Mahaneum. He was a very wealthy man, and he used all of his resources to be able to serve this king, King David, in this time. And uh, he says that he's a very aged man, 80 years old. So you're always looking for categories to be able to put people. 80 years old is a very aged man, apparently, in biblical terms. Um, I've used it before, but uh, in uh, the Gospel of uh, uh, Elizabeth, um, her husband uh, says, well, I'm a very aged man, but my wife is advanced in years. Uh, So uh, you can use that term to speak of a uh, a, a man, but not of a woman. Uh, That's also biblical wisdom. But uh, he he sees no need to be able to uh, go back with the king. He's very appreciative of what the king says. You come over and you live with me and you, you won't have to worry about anything else. He can't see very well. He can't taste very well. He can't hear very well. And he says, what what joy, What what's the purpose of going there? I can't enjoy all these pleasures uh, uh, that you would be able to do for me. Um, <clears throat> so here he has um, all this. And then verse 36 and 37 There's your servant will go a little way over the Jordan with the king. Why should you repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant return that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. But here is your servant, Chinam. Let him go over with my lord, the king, and do for him whatever seems good to you. So again, he says, I'll go and I'll travel. I'll make sure you make it over the Jordan very safely. But you don't need to repay me with this reward. Again, Zibo came to try and bow down to be able to get things from the king, whereas Brazili was willing to be able to give everything that he could to be able to serve the king. And he said, I don't need anything for serving you. We don't unpack any more of this. But let me go back. Let me go and be buried with my father and my mother. But here's your servant Chinam. Now, here, Chinam is called a servant. Now, we don't know exactly uh, anything more than that. Uh, the Jewish historian Josephus actually says that it's Brazili's son who is sent there. And uh, we see this in 1 Kings chapter 2, maybe a connection here. But deal wo- loyally as David is giving instructions to Solomon as he's, he's, he's dying on his deathbed, giving instructions to Solomon as he rules the kingdom. And he says, deal loyally with the sons of Brazil." brazilai the gileadite and let them be among those who eat at your table for with such loyalty they met me when i fled from absalom your brother so here is that connection that pos- most likely that josephus is right that um, Chinnam is uh, brazilai's sons and and he comes and now sits at the table and eats just uh, like mephibosheth does and as they part ways, David then pronounces a blessing over Brazili Now in all of this, we see David show mercy and grace to each of these three people. He shows grace to every one of them. Shemmai Zibai, Mephibosheth, and Brazili. Um, here's what uh, Gordon Kitty uh, observes about this passage. If David could be forgiven... Uh, adultery and complicity and murder, then he could be merciful to the likes of Shimei and Zibai. Yet what greater mercy sinners have received from Jesus, who have ever sinned, but freely accepted the penalty in our place because of his mercy and grace for those who believe. That here the the greater king, Jesus, comes and shows us all mercy. Now we see all different levels of mercy which are shown. Shimmai will not forgive others as he has been shown forgiveness. Zibai got what he wanted. He was shown mercy and grace in this life. But we do not know to the extent of his true forgiveness. Mephibosheth got to be able to eat at the king's table all the days of his life. He was not handed over. Again, this is an interesting a story within a story within a story later on. What happens to the household of Saul is that they get all handed over. but Mephibosheth is spared. Brazilized children receive this blessing because of their father's generosity shown to the king. Charles Spurgeon says, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its light or make space too narrow that can diminish the great mercy of God. Now we'll turn back to uh, look at this more next time as we come back, but the close of this argument as David now crosses over the Jordan, how he rules and reigns and how he deals with those brothers, and then we'll step into chapter 20. But we need to see here this structure is uh, that David, as he's returning back, He shows those people mercy. Now, each of them, he shows various different levels of mercy. But I think the big thing we need to be looking at is seeing the great mercy that David has for those who have been his enemies at one point, cursing him. Um, But also, I think what you then need to be able to see is not only his mercy, but then how they respond to mercy. The Shimei receives the mercy... He doesn't die, but it seems that he, he's flippant in his mercy, especially how he deals with Solomon. In his wisdom, as David dies, what happens with Shimei? Again, that's another story for another day. Same too with Mephushev. He has a greater understanding of that mercy. He understands he, he, he's got all that he needs. He cares about the king's safety. Whatever seems good to the king, he places him, himself in the king's hand. He eats at the king's table. He's spared later on. He has a true understanding of where he was, what he deserves, and understands this mercy shown to him. But I think Brazili is a great example where he gives of himself. He serves the king with all that he has been given. He sees his resources as furthering uh, the kingdom of David when he's offered to be able to come back, he, he says, well, there's no use in me coming, but maybe there is mercy to be shown to my children. But you see the pronouncement. The pronouncement at the start for Shemmai is, you shall not die. The pronouncement of the last thing is that you can have half, but um, Mephibosheth says, no, I don't need half. To sit at your table is enough for me. But, Brazilia is the only one get, that gets blessed by the king. He gets blessed by the king to be able to carry on and uh, and 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 see that. But a, a great challenge for us: How do we then relate to this mercy shown to us by Christ? Do we then think we're deserving of it? Do we then think we have earned this? Do we flippantly just? not understand it and live our lives not appreciating it? It's a great question for us to ask. But Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. For His glory and His gospel.